Wish you weren't hearing an ad right now? Want to get the next episode even sooner? Well, after the show, head to watchnebula.com slash radio. You'll get access to our original podcasts ad-free, plus exclusive originals and experimental shows from your favorite educational-ish creators. And best of all, you're helping us to make even more amazing content. Just go to watchnebula.com slash radio. It really helps us out. Texas files an insane lawsuit that goes straight to the Supreme Court that doesn't seek a recount, it doesn't seek to add votes that were discarded, but it seeks to invalidate the entire election for almost every swing state. Our request is we want to be heard. The only place we can go is the U.S. Supreme Court. And so we're pleading with the U.S. Supreme Court. Hey, it's Devin from the future again. Uh, So funny story, about an hour after I finished recording this video for the first time, the Supreme Court issued a summary dismissal of the Texas lawsuit. So this lawsuit is now dead. But there's so much that's interesting about the Texas lawsuit that even though we now know the actual result, which is that this case is dead, it's still worth going over what was trying to be accomplished in this particular lawsuit. So stick around until the end of this video where Devin from the further future will come back and actually explain the court's dismissal of this lawsuit. A lot of people are calling this a seven to two dismissal. It's actually not uh, for reasons that I will explain, Uh, but let's uh, actually dig into the analysis of this particular lawsuit with Devin from the past. And I'll come back in the future to talk about the dismissal that happened about an hour ago. Yeah, you know, it all makes sense in a timey-wimey, jeremy Bearmy sort of way. Hey, Legal Eagles, it's time to think like a politician because you don't need to think like a lawyer to understand that the Texas lawsuit is nonsense and it's a political stunt rather than a legal strategy. Texas filed a lawsuit in the Supreme Court asking the court to overturn the presidential results in Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. The lawsuit seeks an injunction preventing the Electoral College from voting on December 14th. The Texas case was filed by its attorney general, Ken Paxton, who has some legal woes of his own that we'll come back to later on. Why, yes, that is a mugshot of the Texas attorney general. 17 other states filed an amicus brief in support of Texas. This doesn't technically mean that they've joined the lawsuit. Think of it as an aggrieved Trump state just yelling me too. It's a friend of the court brief. You're adding your authority and your approval for the lawsuit, but it actually doesn't mean that you have joined the lawsuit. And it will have no impact on the outcome of this particular lawsuit. Now, Trump won the popular vote in Texas and the other 17 states that have joined in this lawsuit. The four states they are attacking gave the popular vote to Joe Biden. More specifically, urban voters in those four states selected Biden at a much higher rate than now President Trump. And tellingly, the lawsuit doesn't ask the court to overturn any of the other races on these ballots, many of which went for Republicans. It's laser focused on stopping Joe Biden from becoming president by disenfranchising voters in urban areas and their suburbs. 22 states and Washington DC have now filed their own amicus briefs in opposition to the Texas suit. Now, before I delve into these claims, here's a quick reminder about how American elections work because it's a crazy system, but it's our system and it's important to understand this lawsuit. The constitution's election clause, article one, section four, empowers states to determine the time, places, and manner of congressional elections. Subject, of course, to Congress's authority to make or alter state regulations. State and local governments have the authority to pass election laws, including rules about voter registration, voter protection, fraud prevention, vote counting, and determination of election results. Now, America does not have national elections as we are very cognizant of. The 50 states run their individual elections as they see fit. And as long as those rules don't violate the constitution, the states can do what they want. 
And generally Republicans have been in favor of this patchwork approach because it allows them the flexibility in certain states, generally the red ones, to put in generally more restrictive voting laws, often claiming it's necessary to prevent voter fraud. And conservatives once applauded this design as an example of federalism and states' rights because it gives states the right to run their own affairs. Remember when Republicans used to care about states' rights? The Texas lawsuit wants the Supreme Court to turn against federalism and nationalize the rules for voting effectively. You can argue that this would be a good thing and that our system doesn't make sense. I would probably agree with you, but changing it isn't something the Supreme Court can generally do, especially after the election has already occurred. And you'd have to change the constitution to require uniformity in voting laws. It would require a constitutional amendment. Of course, both Congress and state governments are constrained by the constitution as it currently exists. But with that out of the way, let's turn to the Texas lawsuit and start at the beginning and ask, does this case satisfy the threshold requirements for Supreme Court jurisdiction? Now I'll warn you ahead of time, we're going to get into the incredibly sexy topic of Supreme Court jurisdiction. So if there are any young children watching this video, please ask them to leave the room or avert their attention because it's gonna get a little out of hand. But that being said, Texas alleges that the Biden states made unconstitutional decisions about how they decided to run the 2020 election. But before we dig into the merits of this claim, Texas has to prove that the Supreme Court can and should hear this particular case because it's very difficult to get into the Supreme Court. And as we've often talked about on this channel, almost any time someone says that they're going to take this all the way to the Supreme Court, it's total nonsense because there's a long, long way you have to go before you can get a case to the Supreme Court. But Texas has skipped all of that and they went straight to the Supreme Court. And it's not as crazy as it first seems because Article 3, Section 2 of the Constitution establishes the Supreme Court's jurisdiction. The court has original jurisdiction over lawsuits between two or more states. The court has appellate jurisdiction on almost any other case that involves a point of constitutional or federal law. But Texas is invoking the court's original jurisdiction, which means that this is a new case that can bypass all of the other lower courts. But this doesn't mean that the court has to hear the case. The state has to file a motion for leave asking the court to hear the dispute. And that's what Texas did. However, Texas went one step further by applying for emergency injunctive relief. Texas says that the court should intervene quickly and stop the four defendant states from relying on the popular vote results and appointing electors. In other words, Texas would like the Supreme Court to tell those four states that they need to cancel the Biden votes. And then they just simply want the small favor that the court will force the legislatures in those four states to appoint electors who will select Trump, ignoring what the majority of voters in that state wanted and what state law demands. You know, no big deal. Now, when the court accepts original jurisdiction cases with facts disputes, it usually appoints a special master to gather evidence. And this process usually takes a long time. State disputes over water rights, for instance, have lingered in the Supreme Court for 20 years. But President Trump doesn't have 20 years. So the Paxton, Texas brief argues that the Supreme Court should hurry up and decide this with no additional briefing. That's why Texas argues that the issues in this litigation are neither fact-bound nor complex. But this does bring up another obvious question. If the issues are obvious and non-complex, why did Texas wait until a month after the election to file the lawsuit? And why haven't any of the other lawsuits succeeded? Now, the Supreme Court's original jurisdiction can get complex, but generally speaking, the Supreme Court has narrowly interpreted its constitutional grant of original jurisdiction. Whether the Supreme Court has jurisdiction is a threshold question, which means that the court has to be satisfied it should take this case up before getting to the merits. And there are many threshold problems with this lawsuit. The first of which is the question of standing, which is a topic that we've covered many times in relation to the election lawsuits. 
The first problem is that Texas may not have standing to bring the case. Standing is the ability of a party to demonstrate to the court that it has enough connections to the alleged harm that it has the right to file a lawsuit. Generally speaking, to file a lawsuit, you have to be the party that was actually harmed. For example, you can't go into court and say that, well, my neighbor's house was robbed and I wanna file suit on their behalf. You don't get to do that. You have to actually personally have been harmed. And here, the right party to challenge election laws in other states would probably be the candidates and voters of that state. It's a little crazy for a state to say that they were harmed by what happened in another state's election. But President Trump and the other candidates and the voters have already had the opportunity to litigate their claims in those states. But Generally speaking, they've lost all of those cases. Texas argues that it has standing because what the other states do impacts who won the presidential election. But if that's the case, then other states should start suing Texas because they disagree with the state's election rules. It would basically just destroy the entire concept of standing. And as Texas GOP whip John Thune confirms, I just don't know why a state like Texas, which never wants anybody telling them what to do, now wants to tell a bunch of other states how to run their elections. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And ding, 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 ding from the future. That's exactly how the court came down, saying that Texas has absolutely no standing whatsoever to be filing this lawsuit in the first place. Got that right. But that takes us to the second problem, estoppel. The second problem is that these same claims have already been adjudicated in other courts. There's a legal doctrine called estoppel that prevents the parties from litigating the same cause of action or issues once they've already been decided by other courts. It's sort of like double jeopardy, but for civil cases. Now, Republicans have tried to get the Supreme Court to hear the cases that the lower courts have dismissed, but so far the court has declined. And here, Texas is simply trying to do an end run around those other cases, which they already lost. Which brings us to the third problem, which is the doctrine of latches, which means a party is barred if it unreasonably takes too long before bringing a legal claim. And here, Texas complains about changes to election laws in other states that happened months before the elections. The alleged issues Texas complains about were also obvious while the voters were still being counted. And under federal law, election disputes are supposed to be resolved by six days before the electoral college meets, a deadline known as the safe harbor, which was December 8th. The Texas lawsuit wasn't filed until December 7th, the day before. Why didn't Texas do it sooner? And why didn't Texas file before the election if it already knew what the problems were in the other states? And as one of the briefs make clear, it's because they didn't know who was going to win the election, which is the epitome of writing the quiet part out loud. I mean, writing the quiet part in the brief. It's just crass and unbelievable. Which takes us to the fourth problem, which is known as the political question doctrine. To be the kind of matter that a court can adjudicate, the dispute needs to be a legal one, not a political one. And when the court decides whether the issue is a political one or a legal one, it looks to whether the problem is within the purview of another branch of government. In this case, the constitution provides that the Congress is the ultimate judge of the electoral college results. Republicans are well aware of this because they are already plotting a floor fight when Congress meets to certify the results. So that kind of seems like a political question. Which takes us to the fifth problem, which is the case is arguably moot. A dispute can become moot when the controversy initially existed at the time the lawsuit was filed, and it's no longer live due to a change in the law or status of the parties involved. And 49 of 50 states have already certified their election results by the safe harbor date. And the president and his team of Kraken Wranglers have already been litigating these issues since election day, and they've lost 
basically every single one of these cases. They've lost over 60 times. And arguably there's nothing left for the Supreme Court to decide. But you know what issue isn't moot is hitting the notification bell. I was checking my stats and only 10% of people have enabled notifications. It'd mean the world to me if you would subscribe and hit that notification bell so you'll know when a video comes out. Which takes us to the sixth problem, which is that the remedy that Texas wants to disenfranchise millions of voters after they've already voted is probably grossly unconstitutional. Texas wants the Supreme Court to extend the electoral college deadline. The Supreme Court has never granted such an extreme remedy in a voting case. It didn't even do this in Bush versus Gore. The, that case involved 537 votes in one state. While I strongly disagree with the court's decision, I accept it. And this is radically different uh, considering what's at stake here. But Texas thinks that the Republican legislators in the four defendant states should be allowed to cancel all the votes and just pick Trump. In our system, the people have a right to cast votes for the president. The states in question don't like who the voters selected. So they want the Republican legislatures to pick instead. That's extraordinary and also incredibly dangerous to democracy itself. But all right, let me get down from my soapbox and let's play along with the lawsuit. Let's say that the Supreme Court believes this suit satisfies all of these threshold questions, and then it turns to the merits. Well, we get into a lot of the same questions that we've already talked about in terms of election lawsuits. Texas alleges that the four defendant states violated their own laws by changing their election procedures in 2020. The theory is that this violated the Equal Protection Clause by allowing different sets of voters to be treated differently within their states. Even if this were a valid equal protection claim, it would not overturn the electoral college results because the votes have already been cast. The remedy would not be to disallow millions of ballots that were cast by voters who did nothing wrong. All these voters did was follow the rules. Now, Texas and 17 other states want those votes canceled. But how would that be equitable or constitutional? And we already talked about how bogus these equal protection claims are in the context of the Kelly versus Pennsylvania suit in a prior election video. But disenfranchising one set of voters would present its own equal protection problems, especially since the president is obsessed with what happened in uh, urban areas, which voted overwhelmingly for future President Biden. Texas is arguing that those votes don't matter. And AG Paxton is already on very thin ice here because he's already raised all of these fake election fraud claims in the lower courts, which have already been dismissed. Texas claims that there are quote, voting irregularities that would be consistent with the unconstitutional relaxation of ballot integrity protections in those states' election laws. And there's a long list of complaints that we've already heard about and generally which has already been adjudicated in other places, allegedly missing USB drives, ballots uh, being delivered in food trucks, alleged statistical disparities, poll workers doing something nefarious when other poll watchers weren't looking. These are allegations that have already been addressed in many different jurisdictions. Almost always the court finds them to be completely bogus and made up. And even if all of those allegations were true, which time and time again, it's been proved that they aren't, why would Texas have any kind of standing whatsoever to make a claim about those allegations? It doesn't make any sense. And that brings us to the electors clause. Texas also claims that it's unconstitutional for a state legislature to delegate their power to make election laws to state courts or even to the governor. Texas claims that by quote, taking or allowing non-legislative actions to change the election results that would govern the appointment of presidential electors, the defendant states have violated the electors clause, the equal protection clause and the due process clause. And ironically, it turns out that Texas is guilty of doing the very thing that it complains about. Texas Governor Greg Abbott extended the early voting period. Is Texas suing itself? Spoiler alert, it is not. 
But Texas is supported in these claims by 17 states who filed a friend of the court brief, an amicus brief. These states argue that it was unconstitutional for Pennsylvania judges to let absentee ballots be counted if they were postmarked by election day, but arrived afterward. Like Texas, these states are utterly blind to their own hypocrisy. Kansas and Mississippi also count mail-in ballots if they arrive late. So are they calling out their own laws as unconstitutional as well? It doesn't really seem like it. But again, the fact that states have different laws about voting doesn't violate the elections clause. The constitution was set up that way. The elections clause gives states the right to decide the way votes are cast and counted. It doesn't give Texas or any other state a right to veto. Okay, but enough about the merits or lack thereof of this particular lawsuit. Let's talk about some of the procedural hijinks. First, there is President Trump's motion to intervene. President Trump filed a motion to intervene in this lawsuit. Remember, this was brought by the Texas Attorney General. Here, the president for some reason is being represented by John Eastman, a lawyer who is most famous for writing an article suggesting that as an American born child of immigrants, Kamala Harris wasn't really an American citizen. Uh, it sort of, goes downhill from there. But what is President Trump actually arguing? Well, quote, despite the chaos of the election night and the days which followed, the media has consistently proclaimed that no widespread voter fraud has been proven, but this observation misses the point. The constitutional issue is not whether voters committed fraud, but whether state officials violated the law by systematically loosening the measure for ballot integrity so that fraud becomes undetectable. They're arguing that the fraud is so good that it can't be detected, therefore President Trump wins. I don't need to tell you that this is pure nonsense that contradicts what the Trump lawyers have been saying for over a month, that poll watchers saw the stuff that was fraud and that the Dominion voting machines created fraud and that the Democrats injected fake ballots into the final counts. Every lawsuit filed by the Kraken says that she figured out the entire scheme. But now Eastman argues that Quote, it is not necessary for the plaintiffs in interventions to prove that fraud occurred. It's only necessary to demonstrate that the elections in the defendant states materially deviated from the manner of choosing electors established by their respective state legislatures. Now I will point out parenthetically that perhaps the biggest irony of this motion to intervene where the president says that he would like to be a party in this lawsuit actually may prevent the court from actually addressing the lawsuit. Because remember, we talked about original jurisdiction and the fact that Trump is arguing he has standing to be in this lawsuit sort of cast doubt on the idea that this is a lawsuit between one state and the other states. It shows that this case can and should have been litigated in the various states where the harm allegedly occurred and doesn't need original jurisdiction before the Supreme Court. It's the ultimate irony that by blustering his way into this suit, he may actually be making it jurisdictionally impossible for the Supreme Court to actually adjudicate it. Now, you might be saying, Devin, are these states really suing because they don't like the outcome? Well, yes, it seems that's exactly what they're saying. This lawsuit is very possibly nothing but bad faith. Now, keep in mind that Pennsylvania has been fighting the same issues since before the election and the courts keep ruling in the state's favor, even when the judges are Trump appointees. But in this particular case, and I usually don't engage in this kind of speculation, it's possible that the attorney general for Texas might have brought this suit for reasons unrelated to the election itself, but actually to try and curry favor with the president to get a presidential pardon. As ridiculous as that sounds, that seems to be the most likely reason for filing this suit. Texas Attorney General Paxton has been under indictment since 2015 on securities fraud charges relating to activities that happened before he was elected. These generally are state charges and 
just for the hell of it, here's Ken Paxton stealing a $1,000 pen from the same courthouse where he was indicted. This is Ken Paxton, the indicted Texas Attorney General, rummaging through the metal detector trays and stealing that $1,000 pen. And this is Ken Paxton, the indicted Texas Attorney General, walking away with a stolen pen. But then... Earlier this year, he was accused of committing crimes while in office. This time, the call came from inside the House. His own aides contacted federal law enforcement authorities and asked them to investigate allegations of improper influence, abuse of office, bribery, and other potential crimes. Several lawyers resigned and other personnel say that they're being retaliated against for reporting Paxton's criminality. The Texas Solicitor General, who would normally join a filing like this in the Texas versus Pennsylvania lawsuit, did not sign any of these pleadings, which indicates that he doesn't want to be associated with this lawsuit. He'd probably like to avoid being swept up in Paxton's issues himself. Now, why is all of this relevant? Well, Ken Paxton could actually use a presidential pardon. He hasn't been charged with a federal crime yet, but just this week, the FBI subpoenaed his office, indicating that an investigation is ongoing. Paxton chatted on the phone with President Trump, and then he filed this lawsuit. But don't take my word for it, even Republican Senator Ben Sass sees this as a pardon grab. Now, in passing, I'll mention a couple of the other amicus briefs that were filed. These are not binding, they're not parties to the suit, but it's interesting that they filed these with the court. They want their opinions to be known. And Montana Governor Steve Bullock filed his own amicus brief to make it clear that neither Texas nor Trump sought to throw out the selection of presidential electors in states that made the same legal changes to voting rules as the defendant states, stating, quote, Texas chose not to include the state of Montana where President Trump and other Republicans were successful in a mail ballot election conducted to reduce the impact of COVID, underscoring, of course, that this action is less about election integrity than it is about attempting to overturn the will of the electorate. But if Texas is successful in its suit, it would destabilize the results of elections in Montana and any other state that took valid state law actions to minimize the impact of the virus on voting, including states that delivered victories to Republican candidates using mail ballots. And of course, there were the insane ramblings of the amicus brief on behalf of the state of New California and New Nevada. I was born and raised in Old California, so I was actually quite surprised to learn of the 51st and 52nd state of New California and New Nevada. Not surprisingly, this legal brief is sovereign citizen level, absolute garbage nonsense. Uh, we're all dumber for having read it and may God have mercy on their soul for actually filing this nonsense amicus brief. May God have mercy on your soul. Hey, it's Devin from the future again. And as I promised at the beginning of this video, we now have the known conclusion to this particular lawsuit, which is that the Supreme Court has summarily dismissed the suit. And it did so in two very terse paragraphs. The first stating that the state of Texas's motion for leave to file a bill of complaint is denied for lack of standing under Article 3 of the Constitution. Article 3 of the Constitution is the one that just says what jurisdiction the courts actually have. It creates the federal courts in the United States. And then it says Texas has not demonstrated a judicially cognizable interest in the manner in which another state conducts its elections. All other pending motions are dismissed as moot. So there you have it. Texas doesn't have any cognizable injury. It doesn't have standing to argue that what other states do 
is bad and that it can reverse the results from different states. If it has an issue with the way that things were run in its own state, or if there are people who were injured in those states, then they can file suit and they can sue those particular states. But the state of Texas has no interest in being able to file a lawsuit. No interest in, in the legal sense, obviously, we have an AG here who wants to overturn the results, but in a legal sense, they don't have an interest to be able to file a lawsuit. It's like trying to make a lawsuit over something that happened to your neighbor when it didn't affect you in any way or shape or form. And then, so a lot of people get the second paragraph of this dismissal wrong, uh, which there are two justices that say that they would have heard the case. Uh, specifically, statement of Justice Alito with whom Justice Thomas joins. In my view, we do not have discretion to deny the filing of a bill of complaint in a case that falls within our original jurisdiction. See Arizona versus California, citation. I would therefore grant the motion to file the bill of complaint, but would not grant other relief. And I express no view on any other issue. Issue. Really, all that's saying is that there are two justices on the Supreme Court that say that if a claimant, one of the states, has a claim under original jurisdiction, the court has to hear it. And there are differing opinions on that. Some, most of the justices on the Supreme Court say that it's discretionary whether the Supreme Court will take up the case. All these two people are saying, Justice Alito and Justice Thomas are saying is that if there is a case that sounds in the court's original jurisdiction, the Supreme Court of the United States must hear it, no exceptions whatsoever. But almost certainly they wouldn't have uh, granted the lawsuit. They wouldn't have granted the relief. They still would have kicked out the case. They're just saying that they would have heard the case, not summarily dismissed it. And here's the thing about this particular lawsuit. It was always going to fail. It was nonsense. Whether the Supreme Court actually heard it or not under original jurisdiction or just bounced it like they did, it was always going to fail. And I'm torn on this because you're allowed to file lawsuits, even meritless ones, though there are mechanisms for punishing people that file meritless lawsuits. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we shouldn't judge the people that filed lawsuits that strike at the very heart of our democracy if it had been successful. So to Ken Paxton and the 17 other states that joined in this case and the over 100 GOP senators that supported this lawsuit. It's their right to do so, but that doesn't mean we can't judge them and judge them harshly for it. Oh, and one last thing. I know right now you're probably fumbling with your phone trying to find the next podcast to listen to, but you can't because this is an ad, but it doesn't have to be that way. Instead, you can go to watchnebula.com slash radio. You can get access to all of our original podcasts ad-free, plus exclusive originals and experimental shows from your favorite educational-ish creators. And best of all, you're helping to support us make even more amazing content. So before you go, check out watchnebula.com slash radio to support this channel and this podcast directly.